All right. Amen. Amen. Uh, it is a joy and privilege to be able to be with you all this morning to, to preach the word. Uh, as preachers, that's one thing that we have the honor and privilege to be able to do. So I am eternally grateful for Pastor Tim and the elders here um, for, my, for my being here to be able to share with you all what James has to say, um, some really piercing heart things, uh, but I am excited to, to be here. So uh, thank you, Pastor Tim, for allowing me to be here. Um, as it said on the screen, I am uh, a pastor, uh, executive pastor of Mission and Vision at Roosevelt Community Church, downtown Phoenix, and they send their greetings as well. I even have a couple of people that followed me. Uh, there they are. Yeah. One of them being my wife. Man, she looked pretty. Uh, well, yeah, they send their greetings as well. Well, let me go ahead and let's dive in, because I see that you guys got me on the clock, and uh, we're going to... We're going to get going. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Um, I'm getting used to this as well. If you don't have a, a physical copy, if you have your iPad, your, your phone, your Android, whatever, you can tap your Bible app and we can go on to James chapter 1, specifically looking at verses 19 through 27. And uh, we're going to be continuing in your guys' sermon series, Faith That Works. Faith That Works. So while you guys are turning there, just a quick disclaimer. I just I feel like I, I have to, to say this. Uh, if you haven't noticed yet, I am an African-American preacher. Okay? Full disclosure. Okay? Um, if there was any questions about that, I just want to let you know I am. And what that means is, particularly in African-American or black preaching tradition, that means that um, it kind of functions like a call and response of some sort where the pew and the pulpit engage, all right? So here's the deal, PBC. While I'm here <laughs> today, uh, I just want to let you know, you may hear some things that might excite you internally. There may be some things that stir in your hearts. And you may even want to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And in the event that that happens, I just want to say, you have my full permission as a visitor to go ahead and make that joyful noise, okay? It could be an amen. It could be a preach it. Uh, whatever you feel comfortable with, I just want to say, you can go ahead and do that. So um, what I want to do, just to make sure we're all on the same page, Pastor Tim, is that okay? Yeah. On the count of three, I want everybody to say amen. One, two, three. All right. I think they got it. I think they got it. Now, for some of you here, that might be the only time you say amen today. And that's totally okay. Uh, maybe you're more of a note taker and uh, you like nodding your head and stuff like that. I just want to say that's totally okay as well. Is that okay, PB PBC? Amen. All right. All right. Well, you guys been in the sermon series, Faith That Works. Faith and Fullness was your first sermon, right? Then, we, then you guys did Faith and Wisdom, which Pastor Tim preached, and it was amazing. I had an opportunity to listen to it on SoundCloud. And last week, you guys talked about faith and temptation. And i like to tag my text today in our exchange, faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. Uh, let me pray, and then we will dive in. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to be able to share your word. The word is living. The word is life. The word gives life. The word transforms us. And I pray that, as always, I pray, Lord, please hide me behind the cross so your word will get proclaimed, your people will be encouraged. We can glorify you, edify your church, Lord, and advance your kingdom. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, the book of James is, is, is an ethical and practical letter, right? It's ethical and it's actually uh, practical. It's actually noted as the New Testament version of Proverbs because it has a lot of principles, has a lot of practicality, has a lot of exhortations and things that are very important to live the actual Christian life. It was written down by James, who was the half-brother of, of Jesus. And it's interesting with James because he was an individual that actually didn't believe at first. He's a lot like some of you here who may be even skeptical towards this book, skeptical towards Christianity. He was an individual that did not believe at first, but when Jesus was resurrected after the third day, he believed. And not only he believed, but he went and became a, a, a pastor or, or a church leader in the church of Jerusalem. So he is writing from a pastoral perspective, pastor's heart, and he's writing to a group of Jewish Christians, particularly the, the, the 12 tribes that was dispersed. And they were dispersed namely through persecution of, of some sort. But that's who he's writing to, to these Jewish Christians. And James has a lot to say regarding about faith and works and trials and tribulations and even just how to live the Christian life, how to live wisely how to live faithfully, how to live biblically. These are some different things that the book of James kind of unpacks and it describes. In our passage today, there's going to be three different movements that we will see from the Word of God because the Word of God is, is all throughout this particular chapter, all throughout our, our passage. So the first movement that we're going to see is how the Word of God saves. So for my note takers in the building, the word of God saves. We're going to see that in verses 19 through 21. And then the second movement, second movement that we're going to see is how the word of God calls us to engage. How the word of God causes us to, calls us to engage. Verses 22 through 25. And then lastly, the last movement we will see from the word of God is how the word of God causes us to change. How the word of God causes us to, to change. And you may not remember everything that I'm going to say today, so if you don't remember anything, I just want you to remember this, okay? Because this is my big idea, this is my main thesis, this is the, the, the main point of this particular passage here, is genuine obedience to the Word of God, genuine obedience to the Word of God is a true mark of Christian religion. 
Genuine obedience. That means actually obeying what God has said. That means doing things is a true mark of Christian religions. Now, when we think about obedience, uh, it is a biblical concept, but it's something that probably a lot of people don't think should be in the Bible, (laughs) right? It's something that is, um, some people can say that, well, you can get very legalistic when you start talking about obeying, right? What about grace and trust? I definitely believe in grace. I, I praise God for grace. Grace is this undeserved love. It's this undeserved favor that nobody can earn, and he gives that freely. So when we start talking about obedience, we start saying, well, what about grace? Ephesians 2, right? For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of your own doing. (laughs) So no one can boast, right? But if you look down at verse 10 and continue to keep reading, it also talks more about how we are created as God's workmanship. We're created and God has prepared good works for us to do, for us to obey. So faith and obedience is not something that should be in combat with one another. It's actually something that complements one another. And this is something that's been very uh, familiar, has been really said all throughout the Old Testament to the New Testament. There's a big... um, a book called the Talmud. The Talmud is this, is this huge, uh, comprehensive, written version of the Jewish oral law. You know how many commandments was actually in there? 613. It's a lot of commandments. It's a lot of things to do. Now, granted, Jewish people, they didn't uh, uh, obey all of them. My point is just saying that the idea of having a faith that requires obedience, this is nothing new, okay? This is something that has been for many, many of years. So the first movement we're going to see here, the word of God saves. I love James because he opens up with these three rhetorical questions, the three rhetorical um, commands. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Slow to anger. This idea of being quick to hear, this has this idea of being, having a rapid pursuit. Hurry up and listen. I recall when I was uh, younger, my, my mom used to always say, you can go outside and go play. Now, I know a lot of kids today, they're on technology and apps and stuff and going outside, they don't even like doing that no more. But, right? But back in the day, going outside was true freedom. As long as you, you know, did your chores when you got home, as long as you didn't disrespect mom and dad, as long as you didn't get written up at school, as long as you did your homework, Not to mention, you did have to be back home when that light came on on the street. (laughs) But the idea was, you can go outside and go play. And trust, every time when she said that, I was quick to the door. (laughs) Similarly, James is kind of communicating that same idea of being quick to hear. Quick to listen 
to the word of God, quick to receive it humbly with meekness and a posture of humility. This idea of being slow to speak has this idea of indicating a sense of slowness in being delayed, hesitation. How many times have we have got these reversed, right? Instead of being quick to hear, we've been really, really fast to speak. So easy for us to get this mixed up. So easy for us to not obey these three commands that it says here, right? This is only three, not 613. And we even fell at this. So I love when James opens up with these, these different commands, right? But I love that he doesn't just give the commands. He gives us the reason. He gives us the, 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 the purpose. He gives us the aim of why we should. And he says here in verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. One Bible commentator says it this way, God's righteousness is one of the great theological themes of the Old Testament. The starting point for the theme is the use of the language to describe an attribute of God. When I say attribute, I'm talking about uh, what God is like, the characteristics. How would you describe God, right? The attributes, his moral purity, and especially his reliability and faithfulness in carrying out what he has promised. So what is James' point here? Well, first and foremost, human anger, human behavior is not the type of righteousness that God accepts. It's not the type of righteousness that God accepts. The only righteousness that God accepts is the one that he ultimately provides. Amen? James is insisting that the human wrath, it does not create, it does not bolster up the type of righteousness that can be offered or directed to God. And as we should understand that human anger doesn't do this, James continues on to talk more about putting away sinfulness, putting, putting away rampant wickedness. This idea here is this idea of, of, of tearing off your clothes or, or, or taking off garments, right? We should put this away. This is more easier said than done, right? I'm not saying that we can automatically just do this in and of ourselves. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to help us. We need God's word to save us, to change us. This is not easy. And I think to really understand what James is really unpacking here, specifically about this phrase, the implanted word, we actually got to go back to the Old Testament. Okay? Now, you don't, gotta, you don't have to turn there or anything, but I'm going to just look at Jeremiah 31 just real quickly. So in the Old Testament, that's the left, that's the left side of the Bible. <laughs> And we, when we talk about, when we think about Jeremiah 31, we understand that the, the, the author here is talking about this idea of the new covenant, right? The new covenant where God is going to 
implant, engrave on the hearts of his people. And it says here, behold, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. This idea of the implanted word is, is it's ultimately in the hearts of the people of God. So when you talk about actually doing things in obedience, we're not talking about mere human mod- uh, behavior modification. We're talking things from a heart level, right? And this is the idea of this implanted word where the word of God saves. It will change you in a way that will cause you, that will give you desires to actually obey what the Lord has said. Because this is a promise, right, that he will put this on the hearts of his people. It's interesting, too. This is the only Old Testament passage that speak of the new covenant. And it's just interesting that he has a lot of heart language with this. So as we continue on in our, our, our journey here in faith and obedience, the second movement that we will see is how the word of God calls us to engage. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I love this. James has this positive and, and, and negative approach to this verse. The idea here is, but be doers. That's a positive thing, right? Be, yo, do it. But not hearers only. Now, it's important to note that James doesn't say that hearing is all bad. He just said hearing only. So in other words, you should hear. It's good to hear, right? But not merely, not only. This is not the only thing that you are to do. And as you accept the implanted word of God, it requires to do it. Amen? Hearing without obedience is self-delusion. I actually like the way that Dr. Tony Evans says it. He says it this way. Without application, there is no spiritual transformation. Without application, there is no spiritual transformation. There is aspects to the Christian life that we must obey because God ultimately has said, and he is a good, good father that gives good gifts to his children. And because he loves us, because he's good, because he cares for us, as 1 Peter 5, 7 says, because Psalm 119, 68 says, you are good, Lord, and you do good. Because he is good, he calls us and tells us to engage in ways that he wants us to. And this is not an option. You don't get to just like look at it and say, oh, okay, that sounds good. No, he is telling us, telling God's people to be doers of the word 
and not just hearers only. Why is that? Because genuine obedience to the word of God is a true mark of Christian religion. Genuine faith is a faith that works. Amen? Genuine faith is a faith that works. To be a hearer and doer in this context of this letter, it means to strive for personal holiness, to be holy because God is holy. This is not legalistic, friends. Because we were created in the image and likeness of God, we are to reflect his attributes, the ones that we're able to reflect, the ones that we get to share with him. His love, his grace, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness. Because we are created in his image and likeness, we should reflect the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we are to strive for personal holiness. Yes, people on the campus are going to tell you that you're weird. It's okay. We're all weird to a degree. Amen? Amen, somebody. We are to strive for personal personal holiness. We are to listen, quick to hear, to God's word. We are to seek God in the midst of trials, right? Earlier on in in chapter 1. This is what it means in this context to be a, a, a doer to seek God in the midst of trials, also to care for the poor and the marginalized and the outcasts and the the, the groups of people that tend to get overlooked for whatever reason. As I said before, James is a very ethical book, and it has a lot to say about those who are on the outskirts. What does it look like for us to care for those in need that may look a different color, that may have a different socioeconomic status? What does it look like for us to engage? Because the word of God calls us to be a what? A doer and not a hearer only. I'm convinced that many people in the church today are sitting in the hearers-only section. Now, I know nobody here at PBC is doing this, (laughs) but I'm convinced that many people in the church today are just sitting in the hearer-only section. What do I mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) When you go to community group in You have amazing community group leaders that love doctrine and theology, and they're teaching you all this great stuff. And it's good. It's true stuff. It's important stuff. It's things that you should know. But you're just consuming all of the doctrine and theology. But don't act. Or maybe when you go to that Christian conference where you got the big-name speakers and the best-selling books, and you're getting all this wisdom from those people, and everything that they're saying is good. It's things that you should know. 
And you're consuming and consuming and consuming, but you don't act. What about when people that love you and care for you are seeing things in your life, seeing sin patterns, and because they love and care for you, they come to you, brother, they come to you, sister, to share with you things that they're seeing that is not honoring to God. And they give you scripture. They give you the word. And you don't act. James says to not be hearers only, but people who actually, actually do. As a preacher, it's important that um, sometimes we have to come up with our own illustrations, and sometimes they're like horrible. <laughs> sometimes they're, they're kind of good, right? But I love James because it has built-in illustrations for us. So I don't got to even make anything up. I could just read the text and, <laughs> you know? It's interesting here, he has this mirror illustration, right? Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. What does this mean? Well, a couple of things you should know about mirrors. Mirrors in the ancient world, um, <clears throat> they wasn't as crystallized as our mirrors today, Okay. Uh, they were made up of some type of bronze or some type of copper of some sort. And when you looked at it, it actually had a warped reflection, right? When you pick it up, it's like a, a warped reflection. Not as clean like the mirrors that we have, but essentially a mirror is to reflect something, is to show you something. And hopefully as you look into the mirror, depending on what you see, you should act. It should lead you to action. So when you guys woke up this morning, you guys went to the bathroom, I hope, looked in the mirror, and you saw the coal in your eyes, you saw the slobber all over your mouth, because you had a good sleep, amen. You saw your hair was all jacked up. And hopefully, as you looked in that mirror, you said, I need to act. <laughs> I need to act before I come to church, because I don't want Pastor Tim and the elders to say anything about me. <laughs> if you got kids and stuff, you get a pass. <laughs> but hopefully, when you looked in the mirror, you saw, man, I need to do something. <laughs> mm. Mirrors should lead to action. Let's make it plain. Are you a hearer only when it comes to that porn addiction that you're struggling with? Are you a hearer only when you have anger in your heart towards another group of people? Are you a hearer only when you're engaged in gossip on the college campus with other groups of people? Are you a hearer only when you know that there's aspects of caring for the poor that you should do? Or are you a doer obeying what God has said? If you're just a hearer, 
then you're no different than the person waking up in the morning, going to the mirror, see they need to change, and don't. The word of God causes us to engage. It causes us to act, not out of legalism, not out of a way to earn favor with God. No, 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 no. But to obey what God has said us. And listen, this is important because when you obey, blessing comes. Verse 25, blessing comes to those who obey what God says. So it's in our best interest to obey what the Lord has said. Because blessing comes. The last movement that we'll, that we'll see before we wrap up, wrap up is how the word of God causes us to, to change. How the word causes us to change. If someone was to ask you about your Christian religion, and when I say religion, I'm, I'm referring to uh, beliefs and practices in a context in a context of belief of supernatural powers. Belief and practices in a context of belief of supernatural powers. But if someone was to ask you about your, your religion, what would you say to them? Would you tell them? What would you tell them? Would you tell them that your religion is pure? Would you tell them that it's undefiled? Would you tell them that there's been a change in your life at all? One thing about the word of God and biblical Christianity is it's practical. <laughs> it's practical. Specifically in our conversation, in our compassion, and in our conduct. And you see that here in verses 26 through 27. If anyone thinks he's religious, endure and does not bridle his tongue. Our conversation, right? There is a way that it should be Holy. It should be holy, right? So in our conversation, there is a way that our biblical Christianity is practical. But not only in our conversation, but in our compassion. You see this here. Religion that is pure is undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. There's a compassion aspect to Christianity, to our faith. Because we have a faith that works. James talks a lot about affliction, right? About pain, about suffering. Maybe we can be a beacon of light. We could be a light in a dark world when we're caring for orphans, caring for widows, caring for those who have been afflicted and in need. Listen, church history has done this. There's no different. It should be no different. This is something that's very important in that aspect to our faith, and that's showing compassion specifically to orphans and widows. What does that look like for us to do that? And not only in our compassion, but in our, our conduct, right? There's a level that we should be unstained from the world. We shouldn't be contaminated, right? It doesn't mean that you don't go into the world at all. It's not what it's saying. Because we are supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to be a light in a dark world, right? The light shines brighter when it's in the midst of darkness. But we should not be dominated, controlled, or contaminated by the worldly passions of the world. 
because we're called to be holy. We're called to obey what the Lord has said. And trust me, in a culture like this, being a true Christian, you will stick out. You will stick out. So let me wrap up here just with some things for us to consider and some applications, okay? First and foremost, the word of God saves, so receive it with a posture of humility. Amen? Amen. The word of God saves. It transforms us in a way that is so vibrant to the soul. So receive the word humbly. Submit your will under the lordship of Christ. Receive the implanted word. My question for you is, have you received that implanted word that can save your soul? Many people are on their way to destruction, if I can be frank. And the difference maker is, is Jesus. That is a difference maker. And it's really important to understand the true message of what we call the gospel, the good news. Understanding first and foremost that God created everything and he created it good. In fact, Genesis 1:31, it was very good. Again, creating his image and likeness. There was harmony. There was beauty. There was joy. There was everything that the world really wants. We want a world that is no suffering. There's no pain. There's no sin. It was like that in the beginning. But something wrong happened when we had our parents, Adam and Eve, first two human beings on the earth, to disobey what God has said, to not obey what he said. And now sin had entered into the world, not destroying anything, but corrupting a whole lot. The Bible says that curse is the ground because of what Adam did. So sin not only affects the human heart, but it affects the non-human world as well. Sin is so big and so cosmic in its scope to the point that there needed to be a remedy. There needed to be an answer. There needed to be somebody that will come to deal with the sin problem. And that person was this promised seed that God talked about in the beginning of Genesis when he said that he will come and crush the head of the serpent. And the storyline of the Bible is this story about this seed, promised seed coming to conquer sin and death. And God in his providence, in his grace, sent his son, his only begotten son, Jesus, to come and deal with the birth defect that we all have. Behold, the lamb that has come to take away the sins of the world. The one that is 100% God and 100% man came to reconcile, to bring us back to God. No matter what you are suffering with or going through, God can change you by the power of his word. But it first comes when you turn away from your sin and place your faith and trust in this Jesus. 
in Messiah Jesus, in Messiah Christ, in the promised seed that has suffered, died, and rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. And anybody that is rolling with him, anybody that has his last name, they will be in his kingdom. Jesus is the ultimate answer that we need. He's the only one that can help us and cause us to obey this. So my encouragement for you, if you're here and you don't know this Jesus, I encourage you to repent and believe in the gospel, to believe in the good news, to believe so you can have abundant life, everlasting life, life that will give you purpose and freedom from the bondage of sin. Jesus is the answer. Have you received the implanted word that will save your soul? Secondly, I would say the word of God causes us to engage. Are you a doer or are you merely a hearer? Think about that. Really consider that. Really examine that. Really pray through that. My prayer for you is that you would engage what the Lord has told you to engage in. And act. And act what God has revealed in you. And again, to be very clear, I am not saying that you can achieve favor with God by doing a bunch of good things. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, we can do nothing <laughs> to achieve favor with God. That is something that is a gift. That is something that is given freely by his choice. However, we don't do a bunch of good things to be saved. We do a bunch of good things because he's prepared for us to walk in those. And it is an evidence of our faith. It's an evidence of our faith. And lastly, the word of God causes us to change so we can model for a watching world what true religion really looks like and it's compassion towards others, the lowly, the orphans, the widow. Genuine obedience to the word of God is a mark of true Christian religion. And the church said... Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for the people who are here. I just pray for anyone here this morning to be a, not just a hearer of your word, but a doer as well. Give them the faith, give them the, the courage, give them the Holy Spirit, Lord, so they can be able to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.